So we're starting a new series today called Power for Salvation. And as I was thinking through, you know, all these years of ministry, what is it that makes a difference? You know, I've been in churches and and been around, and even uh, Brian and I were talking a few minutes ago, trying to do discipleship where you tend to think, let me show you what to do for your walk with the Lord to grow. And those things are important. We do have certain disciplines and things that we put into our lives. But you can put disciplines in your life and you can do all these different things. But if your heart's not sold out to who Jesus is, then those are just things you're doing that aren't going to really change you. And I've been around enough to know that it's easy, even for myself, being in ministry, it's easy for me to think through what can I do to best help my own walk with the Lord and help somebody else's walk with the Lord, rather than who can I know that will change who I am and help me to change others. And so as we're, we're thinking through this, you know, we, we tend to focus on in the church, we tend to focus on outward behaviors for the most part. If you think about it, we, we preach on having good marriages and having uh, our finances together and all these different things that we talk about. Uh, you know, you go to the, the bookstore and the biggest area is self-help, you know, and, and that's kind of the way we treat the church. Is we're going to give you this self-help. We're, we're going to help you to figure out how to renovate your life. But there's nothing in Scripture that talks about renovating our lives. It talks about a regeneration of who we are. It talks about a change in our inner being. But it doesn't talk about just having good New Year's resolutions and renovating what we're going to do on a daily basis. And so as we're, we're starting this series, the key... well. There's an illustration I've used, and you guys probably are tired of seeing it, but, but to me, I think it really communicates what we're trying to accomplish, and it really communicates what Christianity should be about, what following Christ should be about. Because like I said, we, we focus a whole lot on trying to change behaviors, and so we do that by trying to help people see how important those behaviors are, right? It's important that you have a good marriage. It's important that you deal with your finances on a, a, on a good way and be good stewards. It's important that you deal with your time and be a good steward. So we do that so we try to help people see how important it is. So we begin to try to change their values. And we even go to the point of saying, okay, biblically, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So now we're changing not just their values, but their beliefs. But the problem is, I can have a good value of wanting to have a good marriage but if my value is not based in my relationship with Christ, if I get frustrated, then that value can be pushed aside. And I can no longer treat my wife the way I'm supposed to treat her. And I say, well, I know I believe that marriage is about this. I know biblically what marriage says, but, you know, come on. God just doesn't understand. But the issue comes down to we've got to have a biblical worldview. We've got to change all our thinking on everything that we do. And so as we're beginning this series, this is what we're going to talk about. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1, this is going to be kind of our key theme, uh, at least for this week, but he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous one shall live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. Now, how does a witch doctor who's in his 80s change? Was it because these guys came and said, hey, you need to try to put, implement these new strategies in your life and do, you, know, you need to come to our church and we'll do it? No. He changes because the power of God changes him. And we forget because we can do most things by ourselves, right? I can sit down and figure all this out on my own. I don't need the power of God, at least the way I'm thinking sometimes. I don't need the power of God. I can do it. I don't have to have him change who I am. I can just decide I'm going to do better. I can discipline myself and do all these things, but it says it's the power of God for salvation. It's not joining a church. It's not even, and we had this discussion uh, quite a bit, it's not even a matter of inviting lost people to our church. Now, we have a debate going on in the elders as to whether it's a good thing to invite people to church or not. You know, and I, I understand both sides, because one side says, if we're inviting people to church and all we're doing is teaching them how to be good church people, then we're not changing their lives. They need to come to know Christ and have a change in who they are, then they come to church and learn what it means to walk in that. But I think if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing from here and teaching truth, then we can invite people to hear the truth. So there's, there's that ba- debate going back and forth. But the point is, it's not a matter of coming to church and learning what it means to be a good church person. It's the power of God for salvation. R.H. Mount says this, the salvation Paul spoke of is more than forgiveness of sin. It includes the full scope of deliverance from the results of Adam's sin. It involves justification, being set right with God, sanctification, growth in holiness, and glorification, the ultimate transformation into the likeness of God. He says it's justification, sanctification, and glorification. See, we tend to focus as a church, and I say the church, I'm not talking about just city church. We tend to focus as a church on the first one. Pray to receive Christ and you will be forgiven and everything will be taken care of. And that's true. We are justified by our faith. Paul says that in Romans 5. Having been justified by our faith, we now have peace with God. We are justified. There's now this relationship But there's also this idea that we've got to grow in our walk with the Lord. And and you know what? We cannot produce our own sanctification. We can produce consecration where we commit ourselves and surrender ourselves to the Lord, but he is the one who sanctifies us and changes us. How does he do that? And, And Jesus says in John 17, he sanctifies us according to his word. 
We begin to grow and to learn what is... All of this still based in the power of God for salvation. And then glorification, that's what you know, we tend to do in the... Um, probably the 50s and 60s more than any, you know, with the, the tent revivals, is in the sweet by and by, right? So the goal is to get saved so that when you drop dead, you go to heaven. And, and so we begin to think about heaven. Oh, this is great. I, I can't wait to go. That's funny. I always hear people say, I can't wait to go, but they don't really, you know, when the time comes, they get a little nervous. I've been on planes. In the Bahamas especially, it was so funny. You'd be on a plane... And these little old ladies get on and praise God, hallelujah. And then you hit turbulence and, and they're calling Jesus' name, but in not the same way. You know, they're ready for heaven until the plane has turbulence. Then they're not real sure about heaven. But glorification is not just getting ready for heaven. It says that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. There's a now, not yet aspect to it. We become who we're created to be. All of this is because of the power of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We live in fear. I was reading an article this morning, and, and I, I should have known better, but you know, you know how it is. You, you see something that strikes in your head, you think, oh, i got to read this. And, and uh, the blog post by somebody who uh, likes to talk about how terrible everybody else is in the world as they sit in their mama's basement and post blogs. But um, in that, that whole thing, this idea was, he was just basically blasting everybody in the evangelical world. And he was talking about how everything needs to change. Now this again, this is a guy sitting around on his computer telling everybody how everything needs to change. But God's not called us to live in fear of blog posts and not living in fear of being called woke or being called whatever. We, get all, we begin to, to worry about what everybody else thinks about us. He's not called us to a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control, following after him, allowing him to change who we are. You say, well, that's just one verse. Well, I'm glad you said that. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The power that is at work in us, because of that, he, is, he can do far more than we ever imagined. You say, well, can he do it without us? Yes, he can but he's chosen to do it through us. Through the power of God that changes who we are. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You will receive power. See, I think most of the time, myself included, I don't live in that power. I live in my own power, live in my own abilities and my own strength. I don't live in his power. But we need to, and, and so you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. But 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You say, well, I can see that. I look in the world and see that. He's not describing the world here. He's describing the church. And you know how I know that? Because he says, they have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. He says, avoid such people as these. Paul never challenges us to avoid lost people. He challenges us to avoid people who deny Christ by their lifestyle and they're part of the church. See, I was always brought up hearing bad company corrupts good morals, meaning don't hang out with the kids who are doing bad things. You know what that passage is talking about? People who deny the resurrection and are part of Christ. Second, 1 Corinthians 15. Bad company is those people who are denying the truth, denying the power, having an appearance of godliness because they go to church and they do all the good things and they're raised up in the south of the United States and so now they are Christians, but there's not the power of God. There's a denial of the power of God. So he says it's the power of God for salvation. To whom? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. You say, well, why did he choose the Jews and the Greeks? But that's all there was. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's pretty much saying everybody. He's writing to a church in Rome who is made up of, which is made up of both Jews and Greeks. And he's saying, this is how it's changed us. But it's funny, in 1 Corinthians, look, you can write this down. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, it says this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we pre preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. church needs to understand the power that's available. The power of God for salvation. Then we don't live in fear. We don't live in self-conceit. We don't live in self-help books. We live by the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But how do we do this? He says... For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous one shall live by faith. 
Faith is not a magical formula. Somewhere along the line, we're taught that we were taught that if you just have enough faith, then God will do it. So we sit around and we try to work it up. Oh, I've got to have enough faith. I've got to have enough faith. And I know we've all heard this illustration before, but every single one of you came in here today and sat down without testing to see if that chair was going to hold you. Why? Because your faith says it's going to hold you. Why? Because every time you've ever sat on it, it's held you. Faith is knowing and trusting who God is and knowing that he's always been faithful. He will always be faithful. And so moment by moment, I walk and I step in faith. It's not a matter of just trying to work it up and feeling good about myself and feeling like I just need more faith. It's daily, moment by moment, walking with him. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. In Romans 8, which we'll look at a little bit later in this series, Paul says, you can't walk by the flesh and by the Spirit. You're either going to walk by the flesh, or you're going to walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the flesh, it doesn't say, oh, you're just a poor sinner and you're stuck in your sin. It says, if you walk by the flesh, you are an enemy of God. James said the same thing. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. We don't like to think of that. Oh, Lord, it's just one little sin. It's just one thing that I, you know, everybody's got their one little, you know, peccadillo. No. Every sin is an affront to God. And when we're walking in the flesh and we're refusing to walk in the power of God and allowing him to change our lives, we are enemies with God. We are pushing him aside and saying it doesn't matter. We're to walk in the Spirit. We can only do that through the power of God in our lives. See, it comes back to behaviors and values and beliefs It's not changing those things. Yes, it's important for us to know theology. To know theology means we know God and we know who he is and and we're going to be looking at a lot of different theological concepts in this series. But the point of theology is not so I can sit around a table and impress you with my understanding of theology. The point of theology is that my life changes. When I understand justification and sanctification and glorification and the fact that it's the power of God that is at work in me to, pro- to, to produce those things, then I begin to change. Then I begin to see that he's the one who's working in me. He's the one who's changing me. And that comes when we really change our worldview. See, a biblical worldview recognizes the power available. That's that little word, beliefs. 
We recognize, we trust that the Bible says there's a power that changes who we are. There's a power for salvation. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. And so we, we believe in our head and we trust and we know that what the Scripture says is true, that that power is available. But a biblical worldview also trusts the power that's available. See, our values change. I'm not saying we don't need to change beliefs and values and behaviors, but we don't start there. We start from the bottom. The biblical worldview changes our beliefs. I'll be honest with you, I grew up in a tradition that said all the sign gifts ended with the New Testament. People aren't saved by visions and dreams. People aren't healed anymore. Those were, that was all New Testament. Now, I've got good friends who came to know the Lord because a vision told them they need to follow somebody, get somebody to tell them about Christ. I've got good friends who've been healed. So my biblical worldview had to change my beliefs and what I was taught. So we, we trust, we, we recognize the power of that, we trust that power available. It begins to change who we are and begin to think through how do we deal with this. And then lastly, it walks in the power available. Our behaviors do change. The problem is we start in the wrong place. We start with trying to get everybody to change their behaviors. You know why? That's easier to measure. You know, if I tell you to, to, to spend 15 minutes a day reading your Bible, and I ask you the next Sunday, did you spend 15 minutes a day reading your Bible? Yep, okay, you got it. You did the behavior. It's taken care of. And maybe you can even... Uh, measure values. Do you believe reading your Bible is important? Yeah, I do. Okay, see your values changed. When you read the Bible, do you trust that it's true? Yeah, okay, well, see your beliefs changed. But until everything you do, from the moment you wake up to the moment you lay your head on the pillow at night, is focused on knowing Christ and having a worldview that says everything in here, whether I understand it, agree with it, or like it, is God's word. And if I follow after him and I trust him, then his power is going to work through me. His power is going to change who I am. His power is going to change all those around me. It's not get right. It's not come to church, it's not get baptized, it's not try to renovate who you are. It is a surrender of all you are to all he is. Jesus met a young man who came to him and asked him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? Well, I'm to obey my parents and to honor God and to keep the Sabbath. Okay, do those. I said, well, I've done them since I was a kid. So, okay, well, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and follow me. 
Now, the issue is not selling all the stuff. The issue is where's his loyalty? Where's his confidence? That kid walked away. See, it's not changing what we do. It's changing where our loyalty is. It's trusting him. And you know what? It's moment by moment. Great is your faithfulness. It's not... I get up on Monday morning and I've got enough faith to make it through the end of the week. And I'm going to be good. No, I get up on Monday morning and i got enough faith to make it from 9 to 10 o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock I go, okay, i got faith to make it from 10 to 10, 15. And then the more I see that when I trust him and rely on his power and see that he does it, then the more... Those times can stretch out. The more I grow. See, growth in faith is not just working it up and having more faith. Growth in faith is just like a child growing to be an adult. It becomes more and more a part of who you are. You don't have to be told every moment how to tie your shoes. You don't have to be told how to use a spoon. It becomes a part of who you are. And so as we begin to follow Christ and we begin to understand and lean on Him and trust His power and, and ask Him to change who we are. Sometimes it's going to be moment by moment. Sometimes there's going to be bigger stretches where we trust Him. But the issue is, do we trust Him? Do we lean on Him? Do we ask Him to give us what we need moment by moment so we can honor Him? Because as we talk about these things for the next several weeks, leading up to Easter, actually, is the power of God active in your life? Do you recognize the power of God active in your life? Do you surrender to the power of God active in your life? Let's pray. Father, I know growing up and, and first few times when a, as a young teen, hearing people talk about the power of God, I'll be honest, it scared me and I didn't, I wasn't sure I wanted the power of God because I, I saw sometimes it was being abused, I saw sometimes it did some things that made me uncomfortable, whatever it was. But Lord, moment by moment, seek to rely on your power. Because the gospel is not be good. The gospel is not go to church. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. All aspects of salvation, not just making sure I get to go to heaven. Challenge us, Lord, to understand your power as best we can, surrender to your power on a moment-by-moment basis, and to walk in your power. It's in your name we pray.